Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Unsafe Space. You're watching Dangerous Thoughts with me, Carter Laren. Um, this is a series we do every Wednesday evening uh, focused on the application of reality-based epistemology, reason, the art of non-contradictory identification, the ethics of individualism, and the metaphysics of a non-crazy person. Uh, look, the goal here is that you and I survive and thrive during the fall of Rome, maybe even help avert the fall of Rome, at least in our own communities. Today's show, we have a special guest. Um, and we only have them for the first 45 minutes. So I'm going to skip over the part where I implore you to like and subscribe. And we're going to get right into the conversation while we have them. So let's talk to Mark Pellegrino. Mark is an actor and producer, probably best known for his work as Lucifer in Supernatural. And more recently, uh, I've been watching him in American Rust. Uh, you may also recognize him from other uh, hit shows such as Dexter, Lost, Being Human, and 13 Reasons Why, or from a number of films, including The Big Lebowski, National Treasure, and the number 23. But none of that captures why I like talking to Mark. He's also an objectivist and the co-founder of the American Capitalist Party and one of the most consistently intelligent and articulate guests that we have on this channel. So Mark, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. But I'm, I'm disguised, as you can see, in in uh, glasses and a, and a toque, as they say in Canada. Uh, so <laughs> if anybody recognizes me, I'll be very surprised. You've been in Paris. Um, do something mm -hmm. Parisian. Say something French for us. Um, oh, <laughs> uh, I strike. Like what? can you say that? <laughs> I, I strike, I can't, I don't know how to say strike in, in French. Um, what would you like me to say? See if I could say something. If you say something in English, see if I could say it in French. I doubt it by the way. Okay. Um, waiter, there's a fly in my French onion soup. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I guess you would say, Sever, uh, il y a un mouche dans uh, soup de l'oignon. Oh, that's pretty good. That's, uh, I, I got that. I didn't know if yeah. I was mouche, but you know. Mouche. I'm now probably saying, I'm, you know, my my uh, accent is, is American. So it's probably wasn't un understood by any of the French folks out there watching. That's okay. Um, I don't think we have many French people watching anyway. So, uh, Mark, look, last time we had you on this channel, uh, I think, was November 19th of last year. And wow. um, I looked up. Yeah, it seems like it seems like it was not that long, but it was. And I looked up just kind of generally I wrote down what are the, some things that have happened in the world since we last spoke? I'm just going to read a quick list. Uh, some of them more important than others. Jack Dorsey stepped down from Twitter, which is a big deal. And now Elon Musk, as we know, has purchased some shares and might become an activist investor. Um, the Omicron variant happened. Uh, Novak Djokovic was uh, kicked out of Australia. Um, there was an attempted canceling of Joe Rogan uh, and the Neil Young fiasco. There was the Freedom Convoy in Canada and Trudeau invoking the Emergencies Act and commandeering people's bank accounts. Uh there was a don't don't say gay bill in Florida, um, and there was uh, some guy named Putin uh, invaded the Ukraine, and uh, and then Katanji Brown Jackson was uh, confirmed to the Supreme Court. Is there anything you think I'm missing out of that that's happened? Well, I'm a little overwhelmed. That's a lot to have on our plate, just as it is. So I don't think I want to add anything more. Well, that's right. I'm not going to make you talk about all of that. I am going to say though, as a guy who cares about individual sovereignty. What's the most important thing that you want to talk about of those that the town? Oh, Lord. Um, it seems like pretty much every one of those to a degree affects our sovereignty, doesn't it? Well, let's yeah. just, why don't we just go from the, the first on the list on and see what we come up with? 
All right. Well, let's talk about Twitter. Um, Jack stepped down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess I guess we can't have a discussion about Twitter without having a discussion about Elon Musk. What do you think about Elon Musk? I have always been uh, historically I've been a little bit sketchy about Elon Musk because of the number of government loans and, and kind of the way that you know his business is based a lot on on government loans. But I've started to like him more or more in the past several years. Um, so uh, my opinion of him has, has changed a little bit. But what is how, what do you think of Elon Musk? Uh, I, I think my opinion sort of mirrors yours exactly. I've, I, I'm suspicious of anybody who gets their start as an entrepreneur through um, the good graces of the government. And um, but I'm certainly liking that he's the lone voice in the wilderness of billionaires out there who seems to have his head on straight with respect to certain values that I think are imperative for the survival of America. And, uh, and, and perhaps the fact that he now has the majority share, whatever it is he owns now in Twitter and can somehow affect policy, maybe that will head off the political wolves on the right from attempting to um, use the excuse of bias in social media to actively censor social media and start to control social media. Um, now that a voice is on on the team that represents to some degree their perspective. So I'm hoping this is a strike for liberty. Um, I, I never thought that the, 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 the Jack Dorsey's ill usage of the platform was a was a strike against liberty. <laughs> you know, it's him. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, he's, he's a sham and he's a liar for claiming it's an open platform. Uh, that's that's one thing. But he can do with his property what he wants. And if he wants to limit messaging to reflect his worldview, well, that's his business because it's his property. So liberty was never, to me, liberty was never uh, at risk with Jack Dorsey. Although, you know, we could have a discussion about what it's like to, you know, limiting information that people are getting, that, that they rely on to make choices. It's That's interesting. It's a different phenomenon. But Jack Dorsey can't can't uh, can't stop us from doing things and um and now that we have elon musk i think it changes the moral argument a bit on the right what do you think well uh i am in the camp obviously of uh i don't think government regulation of twitter like i do think you can do you what you want with your your own company although when i look at twitter um i think there's a moral argument to be made for um fraud uh, yes because yeah because because he has said he he got his market position by telling everyone it was an open platform and and built it and built his market position on that and and built a critical mass which is the hardest thing to do i mean making a messaging service isn't hard getting critical mass is really hard so he did the hard thing by lying about what it was and then did a bait and switch afterwards and i think you could make a case that there there's there should be consequences for that behavior that like you can't you can't do that and then change your terms so dramatically if you if you signed up for under a set of terms those are your sets of terms you gave them you've already done the work at this point and given them the activity and and uh the eyeballs that they've monetized and used to build their their critical mass so i i don't think you should be regulated but i do think there's a case to be made for fraud I do too, but now how often are these terms and conditions changing and how often do we not read them and say, I agree to these new and ever-changing terms and conditions so that technically it's not fraud because 
well, it's all there in writing. We just don't read it because we'd rather get straight to the benefits of Twitter. So this is actually another interesting question to me because um, you never have to read them, though. They, if they send them to you and say we're updating, but there's no actual confirmation that you read and agreed to them. They just sent them an email. Like it's not like a it's it's even less of a standard than the click through agreements um, from software in the olden days, where it's like, well, we know you didn't read the eight pages of legalese, but you did click to say you read the eight pages right. of legalese. So we have some pretense at you understanding the deal. Um, I don't think you even get that with Twitter because he you you never had your account suspended and said sorry, you haven't accepted the new terms of service. You got to read them and click on this button to continue that was never really a thing um well so that's interesting know. and i wish the i wish the right were making that argument as opposed to the argument that they sh that folks like ted cruz should be you know regulating right. the content on social media yeah i mean i that's just such a dumb thing i mean it's also just going to bite them in the ass because the moment that it, like what bureaucracy do you know of that has grown into a right-wing regulatory agency that favors right-wing political opinion. Like that's never <laughs> been a thing, <laughs> at least right. in even, America. Even if it starts from the right, for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it always will. It'll always become leftist. So, um, so yeah, so that that's on, on Twitter. Um, so I, I, I do, I am curious about, I'm actually been curious about Jack Dorsey because he's friends with Elon Musk and, um, Elon seems to be implying that Jack, that Jack's decisions about running Twitter were honest mistakes and pressure from other people about what to do rather than an intentional, uh, an intentional effort to control the narrative. I don't know, but I believe that because I've seen Dorsey on Joe Rogan talk about stuff and he seemed like he's pretty slimy liar, but. Mm -hmm. um, you know, well, even so, those two ideas are sort of paradoxical to me. I made made a mistake in being pressured by people are are, are sort of different. Making an error in judgment, and then or and or giving in to uh, someone's uh, someone's ideology because you're afraid of the blowback. Well, that's very different. Those are very different things. One's a compromise. One's a mistake. And um, and so not, that that doesn't fly to me either. I, I think he's I think he's just a um, a liar uh, and a pinhead in a lot of ways. And uh, hey, I, I thank God for his uh, his his uh, platform because it gives me a a, a certain voice. I, I know I get limited on it because I don't have the politically uh, correct uh, ideology, but I, I still get a voice that I wouldn't ordinarily have without him. Yeah, yeah. And Elon, okay, so let's let's go over some Elon stuff then, because I, to correct, I, Elon made his money on PayPal. I don't think PayPal took government loans. I could be wrong. There could be like CIA-backed venture capitalists involved in PayPal that I don't I don't know about or remember. But his initial success was not at least overt. It wasn't like Tesla and SpaceX. Right. Um, it was PayPal. Now. Granted, that's heavily regulated, and there was probably a lot of dirt going on there as well. But, um, but it was after that that he he went and did that. And I think um, he's also seems to be over the past several years getting in fights with the government in a way that 
you kind of wouldn't expect from an Oren Boyle type, um, yeah, which yeah. is kind of how I categorized him a little bit for a while. Um, but he's been, you know, criticizing the SEC, um, get, getting in trouble, yelling at them, saying government has monopoly on violence, and that's the only thing that, you know, they that's all they got, basically, which is true, but most people won't say. Um, so... He seems, uh, he seems just, somewhere between a Hank Reardon and a Howard Rourke at the moment. He right? does a little bit. Yeah. And he's de de he's definitely been posting memes to get himself in trouble and saying things that people, you know, that, that upset people. Uh, so that's nice. And just so you know, I think so what he purchased was he purchased 9.2% of the company. Um, mm -hmm. And he signed a just to get maybe not everyone's up to speed on this. So let's he purchased 9.2% of the company. Uh, after he purchased it, he started tweeting about like, hey, Twitter's a platform for free speech. What do you think? We didn't, no one knew that he owned 9.2% at that point because it wasn't released. But he had, he started this this tweet thing asking about um, the, the algorithm and free speech and the impact to democracy. Mm -hmm. And he signed an agreement with the CEO of Twitter that he would join the board. And, and when he joined the board, he would agree to never own more than like 14.9% of the company. And he ended up backing out and not joining the board, which now has a lot of people suspicious that maybe he actually wants to have more influence and he didn't want to be limited to 14.9% of the company. And, you know, when I think about Elon Musk, he's not the kind of guy who wastes his time and he's not the kind of guy who does incremental improvements, right? I mean, you know, SpaceX, the mission of SpaceX is colonize Mars. That's a, not a small mission, right? He's not like make rockets 10% better than they are yesterday. Like he thinks big. So I have to think if he's going to spend billions of dollars on Twitter and get involved, maybe he's got a huge, huge shift that he wants to make. That, I, don't, I don't know. That could be. Doing. I think I, I hope you're right. But what does that mean for Parler now? <laughs> right. You have Parler. You've got Getter. You've got Gab. Um, Mines. There's a whole bunch. Yeah. Trump has his thing, I think, Truth Social, which is a funny name. Um, but you've got you've got Ironic. that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how many people, if they were kicked off of Twitter, would come back and trust Twitter if Twitter said, like, if you were kicked off Twitter, Mark, and and then Elon owned that Elon takes over and he says, Mark, we're sorry about that. I know what you said was that. I don't, I don't know, two plus two is four, and that was bad, uh, but I'm in charge now. It's all good. Please come back to the platform. Well, that, you've that already would, made a home somewhere else. That, that wouldn't encourage me if he said, I know what you said was two plus two is bad, and that uh, two plus two is four, and that was bad. No, if you said, look, <laughs> we're under new management, and uh, the, the previous management had it all wrong, we understand that what you said was actually right, and irrespective of whether it was right or not, we think this is a free speech platform where you can be wrong if you choose. Come back. I'd be like, sure, I'll give you another shot. Okay, so you would come back if they didn't sure. phrase it in the crappy way that I phrased it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll we'll see. Uh, we'll see with with Twitter. Okay. What was next on my list? Omicron variant and Novak Djokovic. It's kind of old news now. I don't know if there's a lot to talk about, but do you have any thoughts on <coughs> Omicron and Novak? I mean, I've, I've, I had to catch up on a bunch of newspapers uh, when I got back. I had a pile of six or seven periodicals that I had to run through, and I'm still running through. So 
Um, I've heard Omicron, the, the Omicron variant was of course the least uh, dangerous variant, but also had the potentiality to sort of wipe out the pandemic in a way once people acquired it and acquired immunity to it, there would more or less be this massive herd immunity and, and uh, this formerly endemic disease to uh, the world would sort of dissipate, disappear. Is that true? I mean, I, yes, I think so. I mean, uh, my understanding was that Omicron is, is uh, we have a super chat, by the way, from General Piggy, who says, hey, Mark, I loved you in being human. Thanks, General Piggy. Um, yeah, I've, I've been, I've been triple vaxxed. Uh, I, I, for work, I have to get tested, you know, three, four times a week. When I go to a convention, I have to get tested before I go to the convention. And as I'm leaving from the convention, yep. but I've dispensed with my mask and I've dispensed with social distancing, uh, not without cost, by the way. I mean, two and two over two years of, um, inciting fear, even, even if you don't, believe all the stuff that all the panic that you're hearing in the media it has an emotional effect on you and i'm suffering from uh from uh ptsd a little bit to be honest with you so going out into the world without my mask not outside but say in stores which i do and in restaurants which i do and at conventions which i do um there's a small piece of me that still uh, has a little bit of fear, even though I've resigned myself to the fact that despite my vaccination status, I'm probably going to get this thing. And I should just um, live with that as opposed to fearing it and trying to avoid it. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up, but you can you can suffer from some of the trauma, even if you don't believe it, like because you're so used to you're so used to doing it and you've been inculcated into this culture that's like this is this thing to to be super super afraid of even though the death rate was very low and blah 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 um and i see kids so there's a there's a high school near my house and um obviously my daughter well it's not obvious but she does go to a school uh i guess that's not obvious anymore um but uh a lot of kids are wearing their masks around cuz they don't have to wear them anymore but they're mm -hmm. wearing masks around their chins like this, mm. as if they're just pulled down, almost like a security blanket. Yeah. Um, and I think it just makes them feel more comfortable that it's kind of there, and they got they have their mask with them. That's so. that's that's very sad. It is. That that's very sad. Um, yeah, I mean the 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 thing that compounds the problem is that the disease appeared to be very unpredictable in the way it affected people. I mean, there was a wide spectrum of, of symptoms from nothing to death. And that's not, that's not our, our association with flus, that seasonal flus and seasonal viruses that we, that we get. So, and that was compounded by, you know, a propagandistic, uh, politically motivated media uh, and sensationalistic media that just kept feeding us misinformation. Our our information centers, our our the, the inputs that we needed to make rational choices were completely twisted, and and it it made us crazy. I know at least one person who has had a psychotic break during this time of isolation and uncertainty. 
And I think the political class liked the fact that we were uncertain about everything and they capitalized on the fact that we, we were uncertain and it's time to get the pitchforks and the uh, torches and storm the Bastille because uh, they just revealed themselves to be the sadistic little creeps that they are. Now, to be clear, I believe they commandeered the cannon and turned it on the Bastille. So I think pitchforks aren't enough. Okay, uh, but yes. let's let's, com <laughs> let's commandeer the cannons. <laughs> no, I I, uh, I completely I completely agree with you. And it's been it's it's been <clears throat> tough to sort through what's true and false because you're getting you know qualified experts who slightly disagreed or even wanted to have a nuanced discussion were getting banned. Mm -hmm. Um, and so. Uh, and you you did have this this single narrative, um, and like you said, I, I still don't think we felt the repercussions psychologically from uh, either our kids being masked all day, all the time, or being stuck inside. Um, and you know, we know things like basic things like sunlight and social interaction are good for mental health. <laughs> like those are those are yeah. controversial statements. Yeah, and 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 also what, what's good for mental health is is the objectivist perspective with respect to sickness and pain and suffering, which is is not that it is is that it's not metaphysically important. The important thing is to live. You know, I just saw a movie yesterday called Only Angels Have Wings with Cary Grant. It's a Howard Hawks film, classic film, exactly in the vein of the objectivist ethics, which is. Hmm. Um, which is not to give in to fear and death and the the the, the impending, you know, the impending uh, death that we all face, but to live life to the fullest right now, um, and that's what I think this pandemic. I, I think many people submitted to the, the fear and the anxiety, and then passed that on to their children, and now their children have their parents' example to learn from, to be afraid of rather than um, challenged by, you know, something like this pandemic. Yeah, I, it definitely accentuated neurotic tendencies and, and fomented additional neuroticism. And I think we all know someone who before the pandemic was that weird neurotic OCD person slathering antibacterial hand gel on themselves all the time because they were paranoid of germs. Now everyone's like everyone's like that's just yeah. kind of normal. Yeah. Um, so what it normalized it normalized it, yeah normalized neurosis just like you know our the sociology departments at, at universities are now normalizing various types of neurosis and psychosis. So yes, yeah, and shape. as you mentioned, that plays into the political class's uh, <clears throat> agenda. So. Yes, it does indeed. Well, speaking of their agenda, let's move on to the next one then. Um, canceling of Joe Rogan. Did you see all this? Stuff? Uh, yeah, I did hear quite a bit. Of, I, I don't know if I heard quite a bit about it, but I knew about it for sure. Yeah. Uh, oh, wait, uh, I was supposed to read a super chat before we go in. Someone, okay. uh, Allison Beard says, Mark, what do you want your sub stack to be about? Are you writing a sub stack? I think I I threw it out there to my fans that I'm I could start something like that. I don't know yet. I have to finish my reality checks first, and then I'll get into the Substack thing. All right. Um, yeah. So Rogan had on uh, what two at least two of the doctors, Doctor Malone and the other guy whose name I forget, who were, um, you know, until right before the pandemic, very well respected by 
both academia and governments and had long illustrious careers uh, who could easily, you know, had Fauci's job, for example, like people that were, you know, well-respected in, in the establishment. Um, who then except except they had, an except they had an independent mind and they, and they weren't bureaucratic. Uh... But yeah, but people who were, you know, uh, who were in, you know, had those qualifications, those qualifications were recognized and became persona non grata overnight because they wanted to have a nuanced discussion. Uh, and you saw Neil Young uh, exercise his, well, attempt to exercise his influence uh, by by leaving Spotify. Um, you saw Spotify employees complain. But now that I think about it, I don't think anything ever happened. Like, there was a lot of this hullabaloo, but he's still there and no one cares and life moves on, I think. That's good. Yeah, story. and and I think I think it moves on more quickly when the people who are the object of this kind of emotional terrorism don't give in. They don't give in. They look past it, and people see it for what it is: emotional terrorism. It's empty, and I'm glad Neil Young got slapped down. He should have been slapped down a long time ago, and um, he got what he had coming to him in the public forum, in, in my opinion, and and. Joe is rising to the top. I think it shows also people are more interested in what Joe has to offer, which is open form of discussion. He's a genuinely curious guy who brings on various points of view. He doesn't necessarily, I don't think he agrees with lots of people that come on his show, but he, he gives them a forum for three hours to talk about it. And that's how a rational society works. That's how we keep free. That's how we keep our, our our sovereignty and our our independence and our individualities is by keeping these forums open so that we could hear all sides of an idea and make our own choices with respect to what's right and wrong so very happy yeah, for yeah. no I'm, i think it i think that one worked out well I'm, I'm glad when i like when cancel mobs fail so yes uh, me too Ellie is, has a question, uh, which I'm going to just throw to you because uh, I assume it's for you. Who are the voices of reason you see as leading us out of the darkness right now? Besides you and me? <laughs> yeah. This, well, these two. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of good things happening out of ARI, the Ayn Rand Institute, um, and people affiliated with the with ARI and the Objectivist Academic Center, which is uh, – which is a postgraduate um, course in communication and philosophy that is intended to produce people uh, who can communicate ideas well in, in the world in, in these kinds of forms. So I would say Yaron Brook is probably one of the, I'd say greatest and most underrated voices out there with respect to philosophical takes on current events moral and philosophical takes on capitalism. He, he, he fights the, the zeitgeist, I think, better than most people do. And, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a video program that comes out of ARI called The New Ideal, which is a little bit, it's a little bit deeper. It's, 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 it's not as, um, as user-friendly as somebody like uh, Yaron Brook, because it's got Ankar Gatte and Elon Jurno and, um, and, and Aaron Smith, who are all really good thinkers, uh, but they they go into great depth about uh, about uh, the current events of the day. Uh, and I think if if they can get some play, they're quite uh, interesting and could be influential. And I think Ayn Rand Center UK and Rosie Ginsburg 
are doing so much to create objectivist content out there on a daily, hourly basis. I mean, the, the amount of content that's being put out on that show is pretty great. You know, I'm biased, but I think that objectivism is the thing that holds the key to turning everything around. I don't know if you know this guy, and I don't think he's part of ARI, um, but uh, I really like him. Do you know Stephen Hicks? Yeah, I like Stephen Hicks. I mean, I, I, I learned about postmodernism from Stephen Hicks. That's one of the things I really love about him is, and I've had him oh, yeah. on this show before, but he's got such a great command philosophically get us here that I, and I think he can help unravel some of the mess um, that, you know, people get confused about, you know, what is this that they're saying? Where does it come from? How did we go wrong? And um, I think he's, he's a voice that I also, you know, in addition to the people you're talking about, he's a voice that I also listen to, I think is, is pretty great at communicating complex ideas like this and really talking about, he can, he can step in the ring with postmodernist experts today and, quote postmodernism back to them and explain why it sucks and what's wrong that's so. that's true but the postmodernists i hear talking what's that guy's name for crying out loud oh you're thinking of the same Fatty, guy I am, probably. Uh, Fatty, yes. he's, yeah he's from uh he's from columbia university he's a postmodernist the guy sounds like a sophomore in high school i'm sorry he's a he's a professor of philosophy at uh, columbia university but he's a goon He's an articulate goon in some respects, but I mean, postmodernism is self-detonating. If, if a guy like Stefan Molyneux can beat him up in a debate, who can't? A Stephen I didn't see that story. debate. I it's, didn't see that one. <laughs> it's, I mean, to me, Stefan, the, the good points that Stefan made before he was canceled for racism, by the way, yes, uh, which yes. probably wasn't really, a, which wasn't far off with respect to that guy. He seemed like he was. Um, certainly adopting some kind of strange um, racial racialized. I don't know. Idea. I always liked him and I never heard him adopt anything, but he also had a lot of content. So I don't well, know. he had that, you know, the bottom of the bell curve kind of way of looking at the world. And I fundamentally disagree with that kind of stuff, but maybe I've read stuff by Thomas Sowell about IQ that, uh, that he didn't. So he just didn't have the right information. So, um, I was uncomfortable with a lot of the stuff that that he ended up saying, but he did have some very good programs too. His history of slavery, you know, he did it. He did a uh, a long presentation on the history of slavery, about two and a half hours, I think. That was superb. And and at and when he exposed, uh, you know, idiots like Thaddeus, he's not an idiot. He's a he's a professor of philosophy, so he knows a great deal more about it than I do. But, he's, but um, he certainly did a, a fairly good job against him, but it was more like he was mirroring Rand than being his own man. And, and Stephen Hicks is in the arena. I get the idea that he's his own man in there. Yeah, I mean, again, I didn't see Molyneux debate uh, Thaddeus, but I, you're, like you said, I mean, I, I did watch Stephen Hicks debate Thaddeus, and it's, I mean, he self-detonated on stage, right? He, like... All Stephen had to do, so I mean, he could quote postmodernism back to him and make arguments, and he was doing that as well. But also, Thaddeus would just, you know, he would make statements <clears throat> like, "Well, I'm not saying anything I'm saying is true." Yeah. Like, All right. Well, well, then I'm going to go home. <laughs> well, we don't have to listen to you, Thaddeus. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it, the, it's the, the irony is always lost on those guys. Yeah, and they say it with a straight face, and they say, "Well, I'm using the truth because you like the idea of truth." I'm like, "Yeah, well." 
I mean, if you don't, then we don't have to have a conversation. Like, that's okay. Like, go do your thing. It's still sort of axiomatic and presumed that he's fighting for, that he is, you know, they claim to be against meta narratives and they claim to be against truth because it's some sort of meta narrative. But they're, they're saying this, they're, they're, they're claiming meta narratives and truths by the denial of them. It's, it's that, yes. you know, affirmation by denial thing that he can't escape. And you think as a philosopher, he'd know what that meant. Yeah, I mean that's that's it's axiomatic, right? You you, you can't you can't you can't undermine the concept without assuming the concept. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which is, we're just amateurs. What do we know? Yeah. Uh, well, in my experience, amateurs who are intellectually honest uh, understand this stuff way better than people who ha are intellectually dishonest and have spent the last thirty years studying bad philosophy. Absolutely, absolutely true. Um, all right, let's let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the freedom convoy, um, mm. and and Trudeau's invocation of the Emergencies Act. I have so I will just say from from the outside, this is what I saw in the objectivist community on the freedom convoy. Uh, I saw uh, a stance I disagreed with, which was people saying, uh, you know, they shouldn't they shouldn't protest, they shouldn't do all this, they're scum. Then I saw Leonard Peikoff get interviewed and say the opposite. I loved his interview. He had, he said great stuff. Uh, and then I saw backpedaling. <laughs> what did you see from all this? Yeah, there were definitely a variety of opinions in the objectivist community about it. I can tell you my personal opinion. My, my personal opinion is this. Um, of, of course, you have a right to protest uh, uh, against your government. Um, that's, that is a fundamental right. Uh, your grievances need to be redressed by by the government, or it's not a legitimate government. Do you have the right to block roads? Do you have the right to prevent other people from going where they need to go? No. Provided this protest wasn't doing it, provided it was centered in the capital, where which is I think utterly appropriate, um, and given the fact that uh, this government has no real protections of property and not and no real uh, um, Bill of Rights protecting speech or making it sacrosanct. And these kinds of protests are a lot more legitimate in my eyes, um, provided they're not getting in anybody else's way. Um, and when, when I heard that they were doing things that were disturbing the private sector, that sort of bothered me a little bit because I, this is something that the left does all the time and in, in, the, in their civil, civil disobedience, they drag the entire community into it and they keep you from doing what you want to do. And I was hoping these guys wouldn't do that. So to the extent that they didn't do that, to the extent that they just protested these egregious lockdowns, I agree with them. If they kept anybody else from doing what they needed to do, I don't think that's appropriate. Um, but I think Trudeau's response, of course, was the response of an authoritarian C-U-N-T. I think he's one of the most despicable human beings that walks the earth at the moment. He's a he's part of the parasitic political class. He's an elitist. And it's disgusting that we we've seen a government now use the precedent of seizing people's bank accounts um, uh, without due process simply because of their position against the government. This makes me leery about the future because I know central banks uh, I know this from my own 
financial planners are planning on digital currency and digital current the digital currency means i don't have property anymore i don't have control over my life anymore and social demerits could be used against me to seize my digital property which which isn't mine and i don't like that this presages the possibility of very deep government controls in our personal life and will inhibit the rational impulse to protest against bad laws. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm right there with you. And and part of me looked at what happened in Canada and thought, is it too late? I mean, he basically was able to commandeer bank accounts and do like, and the banks didn't even they didn't even push back. They basically said, hey, you can steal money now and we're not going to ask any questions provided you kind of do it reasonably. So um, I don't know what reasonably means, but um, yeah, like go right ahead. And you see Biden, um, you see Biden taking the idea of crypto, um, which, you know, regardless of what you think about it, the idea is this decentralized thing outside of the um, control of government. It's private money. In some sense, whether or not it's valuable, again, is, is a matter of opinion. People have there's, you know, Bitcoin maximists and maximalists on one hand and Peter Schiff on the other and, you know, everyone in between, I think. But um, it was meant to be an uncontrollable, a decentralized, uncontrollable private thing that governments had no control over. And now what you're seeing is the government use the hype about crypto to say, well, we're going to come out with our own central bank digital currency. It's going to have all the bells and whistles that you want on crypto as if what we care about is convenience. That's like clearly anyone, you know, no one who's using Bitcoin primarily cares about convenience. Let's be honest. So uh, they're going to release this and it's going to be exactly what you said. You don't actually hold anything. And the moment they, they don't like something you've said, or they just don't like you for whatever reason. Uh, you know, you go to the store to buy something, and it's sorry, Mark, your yeah. your credit's gone. You don't have you don't have the digital dollars anymore because there's an intermediary in control of every single transaction, and that intermediary is the government. And that intermediary has decided that you don't have the social credit to to be able to purchase things anymore. Who's the cat? Who's the head of the World Economic Forum? Schwab. Uh, Schwab. Klaus Schwab. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Klaus Schwab. This guy, this guy has apparently said in the future you won't or you won't own any property and you'll like it. Now this is a yes. guy who deserves to be tarred and feathered and run out of town on a fucking rail. <laughs> and anybody with any self-respect will do it. And now I am not inciting violence against Mr. Schwab. He's just an authoritarian, creepy little man who doesn't want you to own property while he flies around in his private jets making the world safe for us. Well, I mean, I think the look, I think the goal is for is for an elite class, just like communism. I mean, it, they actually the, the fascism, and the communism just kind of when they go to extremes, it's a circle. They come back together and it they just they want an elite class that owns everything uh, and you're not part of it. And when you need to use something like a house or a shirt, or a car, it's lent to you. It's, it's you know, it's not yours, but you're happy, Mark. It's fine, because you're on the tax farm, and uh, and Klaus Schwab is a good, he's a kind and gentle farmer. That's the goal. Right? Yeah. Give me 10 seconds in a room with him. That's all I ask. <laughs> 10 seconds alone in a room with Mr. Schwab. Uh, 
Yes. I'll in hug fact, him real tight. I'll hug him real tight around the neck. The uh, devil wants to have a conversation with you, uh, Mr. Schwab. He probably already, if I were religious, I would say he's already had plenty of conversations with the devil. I would say um, he probably is the devil. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I don't know if you know, um, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but something that was eye-opening for me that I learned from Dr. Michael Rechtenwald. I don't know if you know him, but he was the guy, anti-PC prof on Twitter who got banned for uh, not being leftist, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has since, he's he's like left postmodernism and come come over to like, I would say a more traditional conservative or, or side of things. But um, he was saying that, you know, there's always been a plan for many of the elites like um, he was citing this book by, uh, I think his name was King Camp Gillette, the, the founder of the Gillette Razor Company, uh-huh. um, about how to build a socialist one world government by, ev- instead of the, the commie way to do it, where you seize the means of production and, and the, you know, the proletariat votes for a goon, um, you, you have corporations that are ever expanding and they absorb one another. And, you know, you get Amazon and then they merge with Google and then Google merges with and that merges with Twitter and Facebook. And then that merges with GM and Chrysler or whatever. Like and you end up with one giant corporation, which basically becomes the government. And that's how you get socialism, because uh, that's the ultimate end. I don't think that's possible. I don't think it's possible for these corporations to become the government unless they actually integrate with the government. They are two separate entities, no matter how large these corporations get in a private in the in the private sector uh, or, or no matter how much market share they have there will always be somebody who can come up and take them down eventually they they weren't always that way and they won't always remain that way but if they start if 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 their people you know filter over into the government regulatory agencies and become the state behind the state then yeah there is a real issue with the, with oligarchs with these folks becoming more or less you know corporate states we, we become a fascist type type of state um and that's scary that's uh, i mean we see that happening but we don't see the, any good solutions on the right for for uh for that yeah i think and i think that was his plan by the way to the regulatory capture go through that that hole and start getting uh getting in bed with government but you're right and 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 the right something that i don't think has changed since i've been a kid watching the right uh they've been philosophically bankrupt the entire my entire life um, they basically have most of their arguments have amounted to, whoa, 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 not so fast, which is like not really very principled. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think that's that's isn't that the the, um, the the William F. Buckley thing that we stand astride history and and say stop or something to that effect. Um, but there's there's pl- there were plenty of conservatives that I was exposed to when I was right after becoming an objectivist who I don't think were just about stopping leftist trends or slowing down leftist trends and then adapting more slowly to these things or simply holding on to, to, to tradition because they're traditions. There were, there were folks out there that uh, the Thomas souls and Walter Williams of the world that uh, irrespective of whatever their social positions were, were saying things that I thought were probably the most intelligent things out there when I was when I was growing up, you know, even uh, Charles Krauthammer, um, at the time that I was growing up, his editorials were sort of like manna from heaven to me. They were eminently rational and 
and centered and uh and i couldn't find that same that same diagnostic capacity on the left yeah you know yeah to, to see what yeah. to take the temperature of the world to see what's going on lots of folks on the right i saw doing it well and almost nobody on the left that's a good point and i do i do really love soul and williams both um i think you know they they i mean excellent excellent writers and um i think williams has passed now but soul's still around writing and um i guess it's the they never seems to have a lot of clout within the republican party or, or the like they seem to be popular but i never it didn't ever seem like there was a lot of candidates who would pick up their language and mean it which just shows me that the American people are smarter than the than the overlords and the elitists who pretend to um, rule them. Yeah, you're right. They, did they did they have clout in academia? Not really. You know, nobody good has clout in academia anymore, uh, yeah. um, and they were largely ignored by the left wing press um, because they're too damn smart and contradict all of their cliche narratives. Right and. Um, and the right embraced them to a degree, but um, not loudly enough. And probably because it seems like guys like Soul and Williams are uh, don't identify purely as con they don't identify conservative. They don't seem to identify as Republican. Even uh, they seem independent. Yep. And yep. so. Um, that's probably why they have fallen straight down a path that, you know, is will be lost to most in history, you know, maybe for another 50 years when they're when they're rediscovered by the population at large and they turn us around. I don't know. I feel objectivists have the same issues, you know, because they're not left. They're not right. Um, they they largely criticize both and and criticize both very well offer good alternatives, I think, um, they're just not purely critics, but they're alternatives that are alien to most people out there. So they can't relate, they can't relate to the alternatives yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost a psychology war needs to happen first. Um, look, I know, uh, you've, I think you've got to go. I don't want to keep you beyond your time. So um, I, 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 I got about, I got about five more minutes. I think I'd, I can make it by six fifteen where I have to be. All right. Well, I'm going to read a super chat uh, that which is just uh, a Floridian. Keith, the hat guy is just quoting Neil Young and says, I hope Neil Young will remember a Southern man. Don't need him around anyhow. Uh, and, and you know what? A Southern Californian man don't need him around anyhow, too. <laughs> That's true. Actually, no, no man needs him around, really. Yeah. Um, north or south. Um, I guess in five minutes. Explain all of Russia and Ukraine and give us your position. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I've been reading so much crap. You know, um, the, the journal I subscribe to is the Epic Times. It's it's it, it's it's heavily conservative. It's got a traditionalist mindset, which I despise. Um, it's it's very Christian forward, which I also despise. But their editorials can be great when they're not talking about. Those specific uh, linchpin conservative uh, ideals, um, and their news, their objective news, can be interesting too. And 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 some of the news stories that the, the way in which they've covered this story uh, places 
they're trying to place a lot of the blame for the invasion of Ukraine by Putin on the previous administration, not 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 Trump, sorry, the administration before him, Obama. Obama. Mm-hmm. Right. His engineering of a coup, his 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 meddling in in in, in the politics, even George Bush uh, before uh, meddling in the politics of U- Ukraine and and not using it as the buffer state that it is, but using it as leverage against against uh, Russia, and that all of this political activity sent signals to Russia for for a great a great many years that it was under threat. And so these conservatives believe that it was sort of our bad policy and exploitation of, of Ukraine um, under primarily Obama that pressed Putin to act the way he did. What do you think about something like that? Well, uh, man, I knew little about this when it started, but I've read quite a lot um, and I've, I've explored quite a lot now. And I would say, uh, I would just start my story by saying, you know, there can be two bad guys, right? Uh, <laughs> like, it, this does not have to be a battle between good and evil. This can be a battle between evil and evil. Uh, and with people, sadly, both Ukrainian, I mean, more so Ukrainian, but also to some extent Russian citizens stuck suffering what people are doing to each other. So I think um, I think there's a lot of truth to the provocation of Russia, but that doesn't excuse invasion. Um, and I think one of the things that's most difficult is just like the COVID pandemic, we are being disallowed information that counters the narrative, and that should scare everyone. I mean, YouTube, uh, if you're interested, there's a really interesting documentary from Oliver Stone, of all people, uh, called Ukraine on Fire. And it was prior to this whole thing, but it was after the 2014 uh, revolution, which is kind of the second color revolution in in Ukraine. And um, it's really interesting. You know, I'm sure he's biased. He's got his thing, whatever, you know, everyone does. And and I would never say an Oliver Stone movie is the best place to get all your information. But um, it's perspective. And the fact that YouTube deleted it um, (laughs) is an interesting choice, right? Because... Now, you know, we're told, oh, all, this is Russian propaganda. That's Russian propaganda. You can't do this and you can't say that. And yeah, I'm sure a bunch of stuff is Russian propaganda, but also there's propaganda from the other side. And it becomes very difficult to understand what's true. And I think just as an American citizen, I don't want to go. I don't want to send money against my will. I don't I wouldn't send our troops there. I don't think that it's our war. I don't see how it's in our interest. I don't see how they're an eminent threat to us. Like, say all the bad things you want. Uh, if someone really feels compelled to pick up a rifle and go, Ukraine is taking volunteers, so feel free. Uh, you want to go help defend the Ukrainian people? That's fine, but don't do it in my name with my resources. Yeah, I, I, cer- I certainly think that, you know, if the government is going to send aid to the country, it should be a pool that they organize that people could send their money to privately so that those who don't support the notion of war in, in general, or this particular war, um, shouldn't have to be taxed to have to support it. I think that's very immoral. That said, uh, Putin's a dirty little scumbag, and I don't think uh, I don't think um, 
any country that does not respect the sovereignty of the individual can honestly claim sovereignty in its own right. And uh, as, as far as I'm concerned, he has no moral right to do anything except leave the earth plane. Um, anything well, else he does is, is, is fodder for violent retaliation as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, although, <laughs> unfortunately, I think to a large extent that applies to many people on the other side as well so that's yes yes we have so, a, we have a very mixed bag here ukraine isn't clean it's very corrupt yeah. and and dirty in its own way but we'll have to discuss that at another time because i yes. have to keep going for my appointment but it's it's been great it's always great talking to you um i could talk to you for hours well let's do it again uh because yeah. i love talking to you as well and i someday i'm going to ask you about uh your political party and see if we can do anything with it run some candidates, do something. Yes, uh, I've actually just been taking control of the Capitalist Party again uh, and uh, trying to restart those engines. I definitely would like to talk to you about how how we can approach putting this, uh, this party on the ballot where it belongs. Yep. Well, thanks again, buddy. I'll let you go. Um, remind people where they can follow you or find you. You can find me at uh, Mark R. Pellegrino on Twitter and... Uh, Mark Ross Pelly, P-E-L-L-E, on Instagram. If you like dog pictures, that's primarily what I put on Instagram. But if you want to talk, you know, real stuff, the hard stuff, I don't shy away from any conversation on Twitter. Uh, it's probably a suicidal perspective to have, but uh, <laughs> so be it. We're in strange times, and strange times require strange action. So I will argue with anybody on Twitter. Uh, challenge me. I dare you. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thanks, man. Have a All good right. one. Peace. Thank you. Later. All righty. Um, I always love talking to Mark. I always love talking to Mark. Um, we could end the show, but I'm going to do one one small story um, uh, be just because I find it fascinating. And uh, if you want to stick around for the small story, everyone, please do. Uh, all right. Alice Beard says he will argue with anyone on Twitter. This is true. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. He's got to be careful. That can distract you. But he is. I was not blowing smoke at the beginning. Mark is one of the most intelligent and articulate people that we have on this channel ever. And I really enjoy talking to him, even sometimes when I don't agree with him. I don't always agree with him about everything. But, um, man, what a smart guy. Okay. I just want to play a little video for you guys and talk about it a little bit. Um, you might have seen this floating around, but if you haven't, I think it's worth seeing. Um, so as, as part of Young America Foundation's um, Fred and Linda Allen lecture series the other day, uh, Ben Shapiro was speaking at this lecture series. And a student from the University of North Carolina Greensboro, a student named Quentin Merritt, uh, stood up to challenge Shapiro during his Q&A. Now, I don't know what Shapiro's speech was exactly, so, uh, but we can see how he was challenged, and uh, let's, let's just take a look. 
Let's let Quentin and a physicist do the here, a double major, and I also just won the most prestigious award in the country to pursue research at Indian. Hold on, I'm gonna back up so you can hear the very beginning. I don't it skipped over. Here we go. I'm a mathematician and a physicist here, a double major, and I also just won the most prestigious award in the country to pursue research at any institution I want, the National Science Foundation Graduate Research Fellowship. So I think I'm pretty, you know, qualified to say that most of what you're saying is based on like old data. Um, I'm just gonna pause for a moment. Um, first of all, the first thing I notice is the high rising terminal which I hate. I know other people hate. I think it was, uh, maybe it was Vicious Optimist in chat a couple weeks ago or last week that hated the high-rising terminal. I hate it as well. Um, he's not even from California as far as I know, so I don't know what's going on with that. But um, what I see in this video, I mean, I'm sure you guys see it. If you're just listening, I, I do think you should go watch the video at some point. Um, so much arrogance. It's just seething arrogance. It's 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 incredible. I mean, I, I don't, I've met some smart people. I mean, I've met people that I just think are ridiculously smart. Um, and you know, uh, and some of whom know it and are maybe a little bit arrogant, not like this guy. I mean, what? What delusions of grandeur this guy has. Look how condescending and arrogant he is. Anyway, he says, I just want to point something out. He says he's a mathematician and a physicist. That is false. That is a lie. He lied. He is not a mathematician and a physicist, at least not in the way he means it. He is wanting to be a mathematician and a physicist. You have to go get your degrees, your dual major, whoop-de-doo, uh, you have to get your degrees and then go practice. I have a degree in electrical engineering. I don't run around saying I'm an electrical engineer. I guess I could, but I haven't practiced electrical engineering in a long time. Uh, I, I went around saying I was a cryptographer a while for a while because I was and I practiced cryptography. But you don't get to say, like, I'm taking a, I was, well, I kind of paused for a while, but I've been taking a class in nuclear physics from MIT for fun. I don't get to run around saying, like, I'm a nuclear physicist because I'm studying it. No. You're not a mathematician and a physicist. You're a college kid with two majors. Good for you. Maybe someday you will be, but you're not. So look, the other thing is he brags about this award from National Science uh, Foundation. Um, and I don't know, maybe this, <laughs> well, you'll laugh when I say this, if you once you watch the rest of the video, but maybe he's super smart. <laughs> maybe he's super smart and deserves the award maybe could be um however just throwing this out it might also be it might also be that the diversity equity and inclusion department had something to say about his getting an award yes i'm gonna say that because whether that's happening with this guy or not it does happen and um this is a result of that. When you when you give people awards they don't deserve, they start to uh, they often preen around with a false sense of superiority, or uh, they just feel really bad about themselves. Regardless, it doesn't help their psychology, um, and it makes them look ridiculous. He's preening around with this reward, and he looks absolutely ridiculous right at the start. Right at the start, he looks absolutely absolutely ridiculous. Um, 
again, I don't know. Maybe he's super smart and deserves the award. So we can assume that that's true. Um, but <sighs> I have my doubts. All right. So his claim is that everything Shapiro just said, everything you said is based on old data. That's a sweeping, interesting claim. And he's a mathematician and physicist, apparently. So uh, that's why he can make that claim. It's all based on old data. Now, he doesn't cite new data, really. This is just a claim. Um, but let's let's hear the next part of this. Um, but my question to you... I, so I want you all to like, realize that. Last month, but sure. So Shapiro just said, it's hard to hear, but Shapiro just said something about the thing that he just cited was like a study that he just cited was left from last month. So it's showing that like, well, one of the things I said is not old data. Um, like, for example, gender identity disorder, that's the DSM-4, bro. We use the DSM-5 now for psychologists to be able to... So, so then, so he, so he ignores, he ignores Shapiro's point that, well, one of the studies was from a month ago. Um, and he says, well, for, and he just goes into example. For example, gender identity disorder is from DSM-4, bro. Uh, I'm super just condescending and disrespectful. Um, and says, we use the DSM-5 now, bro. To which Shapiro correctly responds. I literally about... cited the DSM-5 in the speech, and it's called gender dysphoria, which is I literally that I use. So... He says, I literally cited the DSM-5 in the speech and said gender dysphoria. Now, Shapiro, just so you guys know, not that everyone's supposed to be familiar with the DSMs. In DSM-4, it was gender identity disorder. In the DSM-5, as Shapiro said, he is correct. It was changed to gender dysphoria. It's no longer necessarily considered a disorder, but it is um, still part of the DSM-5 and is a, uh, a diagnosis of some kind. So... Um, so Shapiro rightly starts to say, well, he says, I literally cited the DSM-5. Let's see how the mathematician and physicist responds. I'm going to back up for a little bit because he started responding while Shapiro was speaking. So we, I want to, I want to catch that. Here we go. In the speech and it's called gender dysphoria, which is I literally term that said, I use throughout the speech, not gender you identity You sound like disorder, a bozo, bro. And you get no <laughs> okay. So Mr. Smart Dude here who's a mathematician and physicist. By the way, this guy's going to run, like these, this generation's going to be running the country. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to be opposed to just injecting heroin when that starts happening. Um, this guy starts by mocking him. You literally, he's mock, he starts mocking him for correcting. Like, so Quentin makes a claim. Shapiro corrects him and he starts mocking the correction by just changing the tone of voice and saying the same thing, right? And then he says, you sound like a bozo, bro. So we've like, boom, immediate descent into ad hominem. This guy, by the way, has said nothing. He's made zero argument, just to, to be clear. Uh, he, By the way, he thinks he destroyed Shapiro, and a lot of the leftists are like, yeah, he destroyed Shapiro. Zero argument has happened here at least so far we've been watching zero he he said it's old data shapiro said it's not ad hominem that's the response but the ad hominem gets worse i can't believe i'm gonna cover your ears if there's kids yeah 
All right. Like a bozo, bro. And you get no pussy, and you can't even make your wife wet, bro. So what's good? In case you missed this. He said, and you can't even make your wife wet, bro. So what's good? (laughs) Look at his face. Uh, Oh, I just burned you. That's what mathematicians do. We burn you with sex jokes. Um, now he's referring to something real, uh, not that Ben Shapiro has marital problems, uh, but what he's referring to is, uh, there's this horrible, horrible, just like fall of Rome, depressing to know about song called WAP by Cardi B, uh, in which I don't know. It's like a, it's like a hip hop version of a porno. Um, and she does like over the top descriptions of of stuff and and Shapiro made a video kind of mocking he was like reading the lyrics and kind of mocking the over the top descriptions that Cardi B was using and Ben's wife is um a doctor so uh one of the Cardi B's descriptions was uh about the volume of aroused secretions <laughs> i can say this in a careful way um which was a it was hyperbolic in her song and so ben picked up on that and had his wife say well maybe something's wrong or some uh (laughs) this could be a symptom of these problems uh so um i think ben got mocked for for that a little bit online but um you know he's just making fun of cardi b uh correctly i mean he was making fun of her song but this guy this guy First stands up to say, look how credentialed I am. I'm a double major student, which is like big fucking whoop. By the way, you're also not a double major in physics and math at MIT. I don't know what the school is like. It's it's probably fine. I, and I don't mean any disrespect to the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. I'm sure it's a fine institution. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, this isn't Stephen Hawking's getting up and pressing his button saying, like, I'm the smartest person in the world. You should shut up. So he he says, okay. Um, I have all these credentials. You're wrong. Actually, I'm correct. You're a bozo, and you can't make your wife wet, wet bro. Ha, ha, ha. That's the argument. <sighs> okay, here we go. So, number one, uh, let me just say, the nice thing about having the question, several small children the is I don't feel is, the necessity if, to have my masculine. We're using a Western like colonial you. idea. Okay, just so you know how Ben Shapiro responds, which is, you know, fine. He says, well, the nice thing about having kids is uh, I don't have to challenge, like, my masculinity isn't really in question. So he kind of brushes it off with that. And this guy speaks over him and starts to talk about uh western colonial idea of gender let's listen the real question, the real question is we're using a western colonial idea of gender then why should it apply if we're using because because the gender binary is a western colonial is a western colonialist framework of gender you're you know? right men and women don't exist in any other culture no 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 The gender binary is a Western colonialist framework of gender. Now, by the way, um, 
I don't know what they're teaching at the school, but it's clearly not critical thinking. He's on, he's incapable of having a kind of an, he's just, this is just a regurgitation, right? He may, maybe he has a good memory. Um, but, uh, it's just, he's just regurgitating crap. Uh, and Shapiro mocks him and says, you're right. No other culture has just men and women. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, no, You're think right. about Native Americans. Third gender people. I'm not saying that. Third gender people exist in Native American societies, Western African societies, like Southern Native American societies, like Mexico. So in other places that are not white dominated, and they like are the United incorrect. States or Europe. And so, so you're saying, saying white, so non-white people. Are... <laughs> okay, so he's saying third gender people exist in these other cultures that he's naming. And Shapiro is saying they are biologically incorrect. Again, I don't know exactly what Shapiro's whole speech was, so I'm not going to comment on that. But that's I'm a mathematician and a physicist. You cannot so tell what me. The, so I have a question. And also, I you're not a biologist. So I have a question. <laughs> I'm a mathematician and physicist. So his argument is uh, gender binary is a Western colonialist framework. Here are some other cultures that have a third gender. By the way, um, this might be a nuance, but it does matter. Uh, a third gender is a far cry from 68 genders and it's gender fluid and anything goes and dragon kin is an identity, but, uh, okay. So they have a third gender. Um, this isn't working on Shapiro. So he falls back to, I'm a mathematician and a physicist. You cannot tell me. I'm 20 as a mathematician not... and a physicist. What in the hell do you know about human biology? And you got your law degree from Harvard. What do you know about biology? So He's saying, hey, as a mathematician and physicist, what do you know about biology? And the guy says, well, you got your law degree from Harvard. What do you know about biology? And I want to point something out. I, again, I didn't see Shapiro's speech, but I, I bet dollars to donuts that he did not say. It's because I have a degree in law from Harvard that I am capable of distinguishing between men and women. And let me explain how biology works based on my credentials as a Harvard lawyer. Um, which is what this guy is saying. I'm a mathematician and physicist. Like he's pointing it out. He's using his credentials to imply that they mean something. I don't think Ben uses his credentials to say like, you should listen to me because I'm a Harvard lawyer on this issue. No one needs to, you don't need credentials to know the difference between men and women. That's not a thing. He's, he's, he's speaking to common sense, right? He's, he's, Ben's not saying I'm right because I'm a lawyer. You got your law degree And frankly, and frankly, I would ask another question. If your logic is so flawed as a mathematician and a physicist, I would suggest that whichever institution gave you an award, re revoke it immediately. All right, so there we go. That's the... That is the, uh, that's the video that's going around. Um, I'm going to use this opportunity. Uh, I'm going to use this opportunity to to talk about uh, just to make a distinction here that maybe some of you will disagree with you. Maybe I'll sound too close to uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll sound too close to transgender craziness. But I want to make a distinction here. <sighs> the distinction I want to make is gender versus sex. They're talking about gender. Shapiro said something about biological sex or biology, which is, which is about sex. Um, and I want to look at this from a rational non -do non dogmatic approach. Um, first let's just mention, let's talk about this. 
sex is a biological concept, right? Sexual reproductive species have two sexes, right? There's a bimodal distribution here. It's severely bimodal. I think one of the most bimodal distributions in all of biology is sex. Um, now, uh, that said, anomalies do exist, right? Just like people with six fingers exist, um, you know, some of six fingers on one hand, right? Well, you know, we don't look at those anomalies and then say, well, therefore, hands have an arbitrary number of digits. And so anyone who says a hand has five digits is a bigot, right? Um, we treat an extra digit on a hand as an anomaly, as the anomaly that it is. We still make gloves with five fingers per hand. We don't call those bigoted. Um, and any, you know, if someone has an anomaly, they need a special accommodation. And that's recognized as an special, a special accommodation. Um, I want to be clear. I mentioned this last week. An anomaly isn't in immorality necessarily. It's just an anomaly. Um, now that's what sex is. Uh, and there are sexual anomalies, intersex kids. Like there are a small percentage of people who are born with either, uh, an extra chromosome or some weird, there's nature makes mistakes. Sometimes those mistakes are with respect to sex. Um, so that, that does happen. Gender. Um, what you're often told about gender, or at least what I was told about gender when I first started hearing this from postmodernists, um, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, was uh, that gender was a social construct. This is the social construction theorists that say, hey, gender is a social construct. Um, and when you first hear it, it feels like it's kind of true. Because we do recognize that there's a distinction between gender and biological sex, because sometimes we'll say certain traits are masculine traits and other traits are feminine traits, um, and they can actually cross over in a way that uh, the, the overlap's not perfect, right? We could say, well, David Bowie has effeminate qualities, right? And no one says like, oh my God, that's, you know, a weird non-biological thing to say. Um, so, you know, or maybe Mulan or Joan of Arc or someone, I don't know, some females have fem masculine qualities. But the, the mistake here is saying it's socially constructed implies an arbitrariness to gender that is not true. Um, it, it implies that we could all just agree on something completely different tomorrow, and then gender would mean something completely else. Um, and that's not correct. Gender is a recognition of the expression of traits that are typically associated with a particular sex. Now they're typically associated with that sex for biological reasons, right? Just as, I mean, forget the obvious physical differences, but um, just personality differences, right? Uh, low agreeableness, if you use the five factor model, low agreeableness and extroversion, those are more masculine. Like men tend to have lower agreeableness and extroversion. Um, women have lower openness, higher neuroticism than men generally. Uh, I'm saying women, I should actually technically say males and females. Males tend to have lower agreeableness and extroversion. Females tend to have lower openness and higher neuroticism. Um, so gender isn't an arbitrary social construct. It's based on underlying biology. Um, and so there's a male gender. Male is a biological term. There's a male gender, which we call men, and a female gender, which we call women. 
and and those are representative of characteristics that have biological reality to them. Um, now, obviously, there can be anomalies here as well. There can be males who have a high amount of female gender traits, and there are, there can be females who have a high amount of male gender traits. Obviously, that can happen, um, and, and this is fine. It's not really a problem. We can still call them men and women um, because they they are. Men and women are stand-ins for male and female, right, colloquially. So we can still call them men and women. Um, it's, it's not a problem until you stumble across a person who completely rejects their biology, who says, I'm, a, I'm in 180 degrees out of phase with my biology. I'm in complete misalignment to the point where I feel like I'm in the wrong sexed body. Now that's not David Bowie. That's not that's not someone who might have a crossover of traits. Um, that's this that's a serious misalignment, uh, and I would argue, extremely rare, um, and or maybe ought to be extremely rare in a healthy culture. Um, and and the problem that you run into when you have this is there's a lot of psychology involved, and psychology is a mix of nature and nurture. Um, so there's not. I'm not arguing for biological essentialism, but also not environmental essentialism. They both have a, a role to play. Um, and when you see a psychological mismatch to that degree, I think this should prompt a sort of curiosity, an investigation, right? Something is anomalous. What is causing it? And I guess it, there could actually be a biological mismatch sometime. You could have a, for whatever reason, you could have a brain type and body type that are very out of alignment. I, I don't think it's fair to dismiss that as being a possibility, uh, just rationally. Like, I don't see why that's not a possibility at all. I mean, people can be born with, like I said, extra digits or, or whatever. Um, but that's a pretty serious problem. Um, and one of the reasons that's a serious problem is there's not really a psychological corrective method there yet. That's like a medical I guess, right? That's the case where you have to say, okay, maybe we need to look at, like, maybe we need to look at doing something. But more likely, most of the time, I think when you have this kind of mismatch, it's psychological issues, right? Um, and we already know that in, in 2022, psychological issues are, are rampant. They're in people's Twitter bios. They're all over the place. So why wouldn't gender dysphoria be also rampant and all over the place? Um, maybe it's related to self-acceptance or some other psychological dysfunctional problem. Um, the compassionate thing to do in those cases is to avoid the medical route because that, that's a severe thing. The compassionate thing to do would be to deal with the psychology first and to say, okay, this is, this is an anomaly. It's a psychological anomaly. There's a very small chance that it's actually uncorrectable psychologically, uh, so let's deal with psychology first. Let's see what's going on. Maybe there is a tiny chance where you just can't. There's some small percentage where you can't. But, you know, look, when it comes to sports and stuff like that, that you can solve all of this easily. Assuming that the left was honest, which they're not. Um, you could just switch the, the gender categories to sex categories. So instead of saying women's sports, you just say a oh, female sports. Then they would have to more overtly. They are going after biological sex. That is what they're doing, but they're pretending they're not going after it. They're pretending it's all about gender, which they're trying to deconstruct and, and make meaningless, but they are going after bio biological sex as well. Uh, they would have to be more open about it if you just said, it's not women's basketball, it's female basketball. 
That's a biological term, right? Uh, it doesn't matter what you feel like or identify. It's, it's female basketball. Um, so I don't think there's a need for new pronouns here. Uh, you might say, um, you might be able to say, well, maybe in the case uh, where you're right in the middle and you're that, that weird case uh, where you've got some massive dysphoria here going on, this kind of unresolved perpetual gender dysphoria, and you're right on the edge. Maybe there needs to be a new program program for that. I would say, and and that's probably what was happening in some of these other societies, right? There's probably like weird cases where it's like, all right, this person's of what like we're just gonna have a third third gender for outliers, so an unclassifiable thing. Um, I don't actually think it's necessary because uh, I think in a real case like that, either pronoun works, um, and that a person who's really truly at that phase isn't really offended by either pronoun. Um, I we I didn't work well. I did work with this person, but uh, he was not at the same company. He was like a contractor um, that we employed at one point, um, like I don't know, twenty years ago maybe. Uh, I worked with this guy who or girl I don't know. Uh, his name was Raphael, so that sounds like a male name. But he was one of these people who basically said you couldn't tell what gender they were meeting him. He was like very non-binary, so way ahead of his time. Um, but he also didn't care what pronouns he used. And if you said, if you asked him directly, oh, like, should I say she or he? He would say, I don't care. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know that person's deal. Maybe they really had some real issue. Maybe they were just, you know, uh, <laughs> ahead of the curve with their own, you know, crazy leftism. I don't know. Uh, but regardless, I think you don't really need, uh, you don't really need new pronouns for all this stuff. Uh, but I do think it would be important to make a distinction between gender and sex, because I do think there is a distinction between gender and sex. It's just not socially constructed. Uh, that's, that's a misnomer. Um, all right. So look, getting back to Quentin here, just to wrap it up. Uh, I think he's clearly incapable of having a discussion about this, any kind of nuanced discussion. Um, he does reek of having been treated like a special flower his entire life. And I think that's the real tragedy here is that the poor guy uh, thinks that he's awesome. Um, and that's hard to watch. That's hard to watch. Um, so, all right. Uh, I don't think there's anything else in chat that I missed. I don't think I missed any super chats. I think we're all good. Let me just look. Um, no, I think I'm pretty good. Boston Josh wants to know if I shave my chest. I do not. I do not. Nor my back. So what are you going to do? Uh, yeah, Don McDee says, nature didn't suddenly make 40% of teenage girls non-binary. Right. And that's the evidence that, like, this is not, this is not one of those weird anomalies that I'm talking about with intersex kids or stuff going on. This is some psychological problem that's happening. Um, so, uh, yeah. All right. By the way, if you're new to Unsafe Space, welcome. Um, in addition to this show, Danger Slots, we have a lot of different series. There's a brand new one, which was on today for the first time, which I loved, called uh, Rebel Civics with Keith the Hack Guy, who I saw in chat earlier. I don't know if he's still here. Um, but it's an educational series focused on the principles of society and government. Sometimes he's going to do like deep dives into you know Magna Carta or Declaration of Independence, and sometimes he'll apply it to um, modern 
news, you know, something something that's happening happening now. Um, and uh, the first one was about uh, the right to secede. It's an excellent episode. It was today. So if, if you missed it, go check it out. We also have 451 um, with Alex Maselli, which is uh, a series about censorship. Great Reset with Comics Division, um, which is free for everyone to watch except for Klaus Schwab. Uh, Narrative Dissonance is a show we do on Mondays at 11 a.m. where we bring in reporters, journalists from outside the mainstream and talk about the news. And then on Fridays, we have Token Minority Report hosted by our producer, our very own producer, Beverly. Um, so check it out. I think that's the next one we've got is the Friday show. Um, before you go, please think of someone you haven't shared on Facebook and uh, share it with them now. You can do it secretly. That's okay. Um, make sure you're subscribed. We're on YouTube, Odyssey, Rumble, Utreon. Um, and finally, don't forget to head over to unsafespace.com. All of our stuff's there. No censorship. Um, get rid of your fiat currency if you want. You can join our Discord server. Get your name in the credits. Um, thank you to those of you who already support the show. Enormous thanks to you. Um, we really do. We really do need it to keep the lights on, to keep it going. So, um, or to actually make my pockets bleed less. Uh, I guess, <laughs> but, um, but thank you so much, everyone. Uh, we will see you on Friday for token minority report as a result, as a, as a reminder, I always love, uh, suggestions for shows, suggestions for topics, for dangerous thoughts. Um, I mentioned Stephen Hicks. We are going to bring him back hopefully in May. Um, so, uh, we'll do some more of that, but if you've got other topics you want me to talk about or guests that you think would be great for this show, um, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks everyone. Have a good night. Thanks for sticking around until the end. If you're new to Unsafe Space, check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production may corrupt previous psychological programming. If you encounter any of the following individuals, Please administer government-issued neurotoxin immediately. I'm not sure what the neurotoxin will do because I am not a biologist. CRT is a complex legal theory that is needed to combat the epidemic of racist babies. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.